0: We're going to launch a new series today in the book of Psalms called Praying Through. And we're going to spend this summer in the book of Psalms in hopes that we will spend the rest of our lives in the book of Psalms. Um, Over the summer, we're going to be looking at praying through some different aspects of the way that life actually is. Things like doubt and fear and grace and faith and a few more. The way the life actually is, I think that's the the key point here. Not not that what we imagine life is supposed to be now that we're a Christian or we go to church, uh, a church that meets in a theater. You know, it's a different type of church. Or maybe you've noticed like me that life is still disorienting at times, even though we're Christians and we go to church and sing songs together. So the question is, how can we learn to pray in order to reorient ourselves in the midst of whatever may come our way? How do we pray in the midst of real life? Um, Earlier this year, over the fall, we did a whole series called The Shift, and we had this graphic um, where we were thinking about, like, how do we actually become, like what Angela was talking about, how do we become a disciple? How do we reorient our lives around God and not ourselves? And so we took a long time to think through, okay, what does it look like to fly right side up? What does it look like to live life the way God intended us to? And so we talked and thought through, okay, when I live a life oriented around myself, where I'm primarily prideful and and self-centered and think I can do it on my own, we often end up with a few emotions, tons of emotions, but we could summarize them in three ways. We end up isolated because we're full of shame and fear and we don't really know how to be known by God or ourselves or other people. And so we hide away and we isolate from others. This inevitably leads us to feeling this sense of disintegration where we're one way on the outside and another way on the inside. And that that can lead us to this place of being stagnant. Like, why am I even here on this earth? What is my purpose? And we kind of spiral and spiral and spiral. So that's a life oriented around self. But Jesus comes and he invites us to be his disciple. And in one of the gospels, he says this, hey, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He comes and invites us into a life with him in God's kingdom. And so in this new way of being and in, in a life oriented around God rather than self, instead of being isolated, we learn to be intimate. And what we mean by this is that we get, we get to be known and know the father and his family, the people in this room and other Christians around the world. And other people, our neighbors, we can begin to see everyone differently. Instead of being disintegrated, we enter into this whole process of being formed into the image of Jesus, where we learn from Jesus how to be human in God's kingdom. So we were disintegrated, and now, by God's grace, we're being formed into a healthy human being. And where we were stagnant before, we're learning how to live life on mission with God, where we're partnering with the Holy Spirit in the renewal of all things. So this is all about reorienting our lives. So in the Psalms, we find an incredible gift for us as followers of Jesus who are seeking to reorient our lives around God and not ourselves. Most of us here this morning in the room are doing our best to follow Jesus as his disciples, which means we have three goals. Say them with me. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did by 2040. 2,417, we'll get this. That's the, that's the goal. Um, so with that in mind, guys, if our goal is to be with Jesus and to become like Jesus and do what Jesus did, if we think about prayer, we think about Psalms, did you know that Jesus prayed the Psalms? This is important for us. Like The Psalter was the prayer book of the Jewish people. And Jesus, of course, came into the world as a Jew. And so in the Jewish culture, the God man himself, Jesus Christ, appeared and learned obedience and maturity and was formed by the prayers found in the Psalms. So to summarize, I think you and I would do well to learn to incorporate this prayer book into our lives as disciples of Jesus. What if praying like Jesus prayed like what if praying like Jesus prayed? helped us know and be known by the Father and his family in a greater way? What if it helped us and taught us how to be human in God's kingdom? What if it kept us on mission as we partner with the Holy Spirit and the church in the renewal of all things? Not only are these the prayers that Jesus prayed, these are the prayers that for thousands of generations before us, or hundreds of generations before us, have been prayed by followers of Jesus. They've prayed these same prayers that are earthed in the very human experience that you and I go through day in and day out. Walter Brueggemann, a famous Old Testament scholar, says this about the Psalms. The Psalms, with a few exceptions, are not the voice of God addressing us. They are rather the voice of our own common humanity, gathered over a long period of time, but a voice that continues to have amazing authenticity and contemporaneity, Wow, that's a tough word. I think I said that right. It speaks about life the way it really is. For in those deep human dimensions, the same issues and possibilities persist. And so when we turn to the Psalms, it means we enter into the midst of that voice of humanity and decide to take our stand with that voice. We are prepared to speak among them and with them and for them to express our solidarity in this anguished, joyous human pilgrimage. We add a voice to the common elation, shared grief, and communal rage that besets us all. In the Psalms, there is a speech, and a, sorry, in the Psalms, there is an articulation of all the secrets of the human heart and the human community, all voiced loud in speech and in song to God amidst the community. The way life really is, reality expressed together in community. Bono, the lead singer of U2. Anyone ever heard of U2? Yeah. All right. Uh, Christian was interviewed by Fuller Seminary in a short documentary that's actually worth watching um, about Psalms and actually about Eugene Peterson. It's Eugene Peterson Day today. Um, and at one point in the doc, Bono is asked to give one sentence answers to a few questions about the Psalms. So this is just a little snippet of the conversation. The, the, the interviewer asks, what's one thing you've learned about God through the Psalms? He listens. What's one thing you've learned about yourself through the Psalms? I don't listen enough. What's one thing the Psalms has asked of you? Honesty. If I had to boil down to everything I wanted to say today into one sentence, this is the one thing I want you to get out of today. There is nothing more real than the life we have in Christ. The Psalms train us in the language of honesty, equipping and empowering us to speak of the way that life really is. So the message today is entitled Honest to God. And what I want us to do to start, guys, I want you guys to stand up, and we're actually going to pray a psalm together aloud. We're going to use our whole bodies, and uh, we're going to take a second just to kind of calm ourselves, take a few deep breaths, and the words are going to be on the screen behind us. Um, It's Psalm 139, one you probably would have read and heard many times, but I want us to pray this together, and at the end, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, And you'll say, thanks be to God. And then we'll just have a short prayer and then we'll dive in together. So let's just take a few seconds just to focus our attention on Jesus. Let's pray Psalm 139 together. Lord, you have searched me and known me you know when i sit down and when i stand up you understand my thoughts from far away you observe my travels and my rest you are aware of all my ways before a word is on my tongue you know all about it lord you have encircled me you have placed your hand on me this wondrous knowledge is beyond me it is lofty i'm unable to reach it where can i go to escape your spirit Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live at the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, (laughs) the hand lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous and I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God, how precious your thoughts are to me, how vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. God, if only you would kill the wicked. You bloodthirsty men, stay away from me, who invoke you deceitfully. Your enemies swear by you falsely. Lord, don't I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you? I hate them with extreme hatred. I consider them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your word. Yes. Lord, that it communicates your heart to us, that, that you long to be known by your people and by the whole world. And so we ask today that as we think about um, honesty, as we think about what Jesus has done to enable us to be honest with you, God, that we would revel and bask in your goodness. That, Lord, that there would be uh, a deep... Um, calling unto deep in us, God, that there's something that would be ignited in our spirit by you today, that we would long to, to be with you and to become like you and to do what you did, to, to a longing to be honest with you like never before, and that would spill over into our honesty with one another, God. We pray that we would become more like you, God, where in the midst of the father-son-spirit relationship, there is no hiding, there is no shame, there is no guilt, there are no secrets. And so I pray, God, that you would enable us to live in the same way. So... Um, help me to speak the truth boldly today and graciously, and I pray that we would leave here uh, more like you, Jesus, than when we walked in the door. Come, Holy Spirit. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You guys may have a seat. Let me tell you a story as you're settling in. The story is called Taxi Ride to Miraflores. I landed around midnight and immediately started sweating. The airport in Lima was right downtown, and as you're landing, it looks like you're going to run right down the main street. But alas, I arrived in one piece. I was here for 10 days to meet and encourage some other pastors and worship leaders from around Lima, Peru. And I was set to meet up with two other friends from Ontario. However, they had arrived two days prior. So I was on my own to get from the airport to the Airbnb in the suburb of Miraflores. This may come as a shock to some of you guys this morning, but I'm not the most adventurous guy. The world has ever seen i like to know what to expect some might even say i'm a bit of a control freak and i'm working on it so on the flight down i had done my best to remember some of my grade nine and ten spanish as i imagined possible conversations hola me llamo s tomas donde esta la biblioteca buenos dias me gusta jugar golf as you may have surmised i was not an a plus spanish student Pardon me, un estudiante de Espanol. All I can really remember is that my teacher was on Jeopardy and won and bought a forest green Honda Pilot with the proceeds from his dominance, that my Spanish name for my second year was Paco, and that when my Spanish grades tipped, my mom took it upon herself to tutor me in the wee hours of the morning before the bus would pick me up. Not anaranjado cubby, it's anaranjado. It was terrible. It was a tough pill to swallow at 6.30 a.m. But anyways, back to Lima. I was picked up by a pre-arranged Uber driver for the 18-kilometer trek to our Airbnb. Lima is a super busy city, so we would make it to the condo in under an hour, my friends had said, just under an hour. So, time to flex the old Espanol. So over the next hour, Roberto and I had a very juvenile and broken conversation. I tried my best to piece together some coherent sentences, reaching deep into the depths of my newly regenerated reservoir of Spanish vocabulary. But to his ears, it sounded something like this. You like food? What food you eat to like? Volleyball? Play you and granddaughter? Lima, big. Tom, my name. I live Canada. I like tacos, meat tacos. The almost hour passed awkwardly by. I told Roberto random information and broken facts about my life, and in return, I learned a little bit about his. But I had done it. Albeit a bit Neanderthalish, I had made conversation in fits and spurts to get me through the trip from the airport to the Airbnb. We arrived in Miraflores. I said, Gracias, Roberto. I grabbed my bag and climbed the stairs to my home for the next 10 days. So, why am I telling you this story? I'm telling you this story because this story reminds me of my prayer life. I know just enough prayer language to fill the car ride from point A to point B. And because of this the conversation conversation stays shallow and surfacy, often one-sided and like rehearsing of facts Neanderthalish. I often treat God like Roberto, someone who's getting me from where I need to go. Someone I don't spend a lot of time getting to know or I'm not necessarily comfortable sharing the truest parts of me with. And obviously this analogy falls apart as all analogies do, but try to stick with me here. In the same way, my Spanish leaves much to be desired, so does my prayer language. I would like to suggest that the main reason for this is that I struggle to speak of the way that life really is. I have much to learn about how to be honest with God. In the case of Roberto and I, I couldn't tell him about the excitement I had about doing some training for worship leaders. My desire to be impressive, that this would be the longest I'd be away from my pregnant wife and three kids, that I was anxious about having to preach with the translator, or that one of my earliest dreams after meeting Jesus was to be a missionary in South America because I didn't have the words. I was unable to speak about the way that life really is. I also had no way to ask Roberto about the things that mattered to him. My knowledge of Roberto stayed shallow and inconsequential. You see, my Spanish nine and 10 could only get me so far, even with the early morning tutoring from my dear mother. I need to learn a new language and maybe you do too. And this is where the Psalms are so, so helpful. And I'm going to read to you guys about this whole idea about, of language from this book by Eugene Peterson um, called Answering God. And so I was trying to summarize it and I was like, I'm just going to read his, he's way better at talking than I am. So it's a longer quote, but it'll be worth it. This is, this is just all about the idea of language and prayer. You guys okay? Good. My goodness, hold on. What's up today, Angela? You too? Maybe I'm losing my mind here. Solidarity Angela. Oh, here we go Thank you for your patience guys Okay, language Eugene Peterson breaks down language into three different categories So language one is this category Language one is the language of personal intimacy and relationship. It is the first language we learn at first It is not articulate speech The sounds that pass between parent and infant are incredibly rich in meaning, but less than impressive in content. The coos and cries of the infant do not parse. The nonsense syllables of the answering parent have no dictionary entries, but in the exchange of gurgles and out-of-tune hums, this is the key, trust develops. Parent whispers transmute infant screams into grunts of hope. The cornerstone words in this language are names or pet names, mama, papa. For all its limited vocabulary and butchered syntax, it is more than adequate to express complex and profound love and to develop the basic trust foundational to human existence. Language one is our primary language, the language we use to express and to develop our human condition. So in summary, language one is the language of personal intimacy and relationship. Language two is the language of information. As we grow, we find a marvelous world of things surrounding us and that that everything has a name, rock, water, doll, bottle, finger. Gradually through the acquisition of language, we are oriented in a world of objects. Beyond the relational intimacy with persons with which we begin, we find our way in an environment of trees and fire engines and snowballs. Day after day, words are added. Things named are no longer strange. We explore the neighborhood. We make friends with the world. We learn to speak in sentences, making connections between this and that, between yesterday and tomorrow, between here and there. The world is wonderfully various and our language enables us to account for it, to recognize what is here and how it is put together. Language two is the major language used in the schools. So language one is the language of personal relationship and intimacy. Language two is the language of information. Language three is the language of motivation. We discover early on that words have the power to make things happen, to bring something out of nothing, to move inert figures into purposeful, purpose, purpose of action. An infant brawl brings food in the dry diaper. A parental command arrests a childish tantrum. No physical force is involved. No material causation is visible. Just a word. Stop. Go. Shut up. Speak up. Eat everything on your plate. We are moved by language and use it to move others. Children rapidly acquire proficiency in this language, moving people bigger and more intelligent than themselves to strenuous activity, amen? Often against both the inclination and better judgment of the people. Language three is the predominant language of advertising and politics. Okay, I'm gonna keep going here. Languages two and three are the ascendant language of our culture. Language that describes, language two, and language that motivates, language three, dominate. We are well-schooled in language that describes the world in which we live We are well trained in the language that moves people to buy and join and vote. Meanwhile, language one, the language of intimacy, the language that develops relationships of trust, hope and understanding, languishes. Once we are clear of the cradle, we find less and less encouragement to use it. There is a short-lived recovery of language one in adolescence when we fall in love and spend endless hours talking on the telephone using words that eavesdroppers characterize as gibberish. But it is the farthest thing from gibberish. The sounds express relationship. They are a realization of being. So if I were to ask you guys, which is the language of prayer? Language one, two, or three? Should be language one? Yeah? Okay. You get it right, Lee. Well done. Language one. The language of prayer is the language of personal intimacy and relationship. It is the language of honesty. I'm going to keep reading. So Eugene Peterson, language one is the language of the Psalms and the language of prayer. Yet this is the language most necessary to our humanity, to finding out who we are and to who we are with for love and for care and for God. Learning to pray is not learning anything new. It recovers our first language. Developing skill in language one is a matter of returning to what is basic in us. Prayer is not a second language. It is the language at the core of what we already are and are becoming. But the first requirement of this language is not to make us nice, but to make us accurate, which gets back to what we were talking about before, praying about the way that things actually are. Psalm language is not careful about offending our sensibilities. Its genius is its complete disclosure of the human spirit as it makes response to the revealing God. Given the mess that things are in, it will not be surprising that some unpleasant matters have to be spoken and spoken in the language of our sin-conditioned humanity, for the language of prayer is, most emphatically, human language. It is not angel talk. The language in which we must become proficient is the language of personal relationship, getting as much of our language as possible into the speech of love and response and intimacy. Abba, Father. So why is it so hard for us to be honest? Why are we so good at hiding what's really going on inside of us? This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, Eden, to the beginning of the story. You see, in the beginning, God created humanity in his image. In the beginning of the story, we see a man, Adam, and a woman, Eve, walking with God, fully known by God and fully known by each other. They hid nothing from one another. In fact, it says in Genesis 2, both the man and his wife were naked yet felt no shame. Ain't that something? Next in the story, we read that Satan, God's chief enemy, comes and lies to Eve and causes her to join his rebellion against Yahweh and his good kingdom. She eats of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and immediately becomes aware of her nakedness. She and Adam both eat of the tree and eventually end up fashioning and sewing together a covering for themselves out of fig leaves. And ever since... We as humans have this uncanny ability and desire to hide from God, from ourselves, and from others. This is a result of sin. Our obsession and fixation with fig leaves leaves us exhausted, compromised, and in the end, ultimately exposed. But into our deepest, darkest brokenness, Jesus comes. He comes into our alienation and sin and takes the full brunt of it on himself. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Jesus, as the new Adam, does not hide. There were no fig leaves to be found. There, naked and fully exposed, bearing the full weight of our collective shame, Jesus hung on the cross, conquering death and all of his friends. Satan, sin, shame. On that cross, he destroyed every claim that the enemy had on you. All your shame, your fear, your sin, your secrets. And as he rose again, he brought you with him, giving you a new name, a new family, a new inheritance, covered you with his righteousness, gave you a new hope and a new future with God. In the good news of Jesus, the way that life really is, grace has the last word, not sin. Why? Because he loves you, because he loves you. Because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you, because he loves you. And the same words that the father spoke to Adam and Eve in the garden after they sinned echo into today. Where are you? Where are you? Come out of hiding. Come stand naked and unashamed. Jesus has invited us into a new type of relationship with God. A relationship of honesty. So back to the Psalms. Dr. David Taylor says this about the psalms. What the psalms offer us is a powerful aid to unhide, to stand honestly before God without fear, to face one another vulnerably without shame, and to encounter life in the world without any of the secrets that would demean and distort our humanity. The psalms, then, are for those who know that they spend much of their life hiding secrets, They are also for those who know that standing in the presence of God is the one place where such secrets cannot and must not be hidden. Eugene Peterson again. It is easy to be honest before God with our hallelujahs. It is somewhat more difficult to be honest in our hurts. It is nearly impossible to be honest before God in the dark emotions of our hate. So we commonly suppress our negative emotions unless neurotically we advertise them. Or when we do express them, we do it far from the presence or what we think is the presence of God. Ashamed or embarrassed to be seen in these cursed stained bib overalls. But when we pray the Psalms, these classic prayers of God's people, we find that will not do. We must pray who we actually are, not who we think we should be. The Psalms are a call to a language that is naked and unashamed. No pretense, no performance, no fig leaves, no secrets. Pray who you actually are, not who you think you should be. Jesus died so that you could pray this way. Remember, grace has the final word and not sin. So as we, this summer, guys, begin to pray the Psalms, I sense we may be surprised at what we discover. That we may be found loved where we feared being rejected, forgiven where we expected to be shamed, welcomed where we feared a slammed door. Could it be, like the psalmist says here in Psalm 18, But me he caught, reached all the way from sky to sea. He pulled me out of that ocean of hate, that enemy chaos, the void in which I was drowning. They hit me when I was down, but God stuck by me. He stood me up in a wide open field. I stood there saved, surprised to be loved. So this summer, as we close, Susie, if you want to come on up, we're going to learn to pray the Psalms. There is nothing more real than the life we have in Christ. The Psalms train us in the language of honesty, equipping and empowering us to speak of the way that life really is. New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says this, the Psalms are inexhaustible and deserve to be read, said, sung, chanted, whispered, learned by heart, and even shouted from the rooftops. They express all the emotions we are ever likely to feel, including some we hope we may not. And they lay them raw and open in the presence of God. Uh, Eugene Peterson taught a class at Regent College in Vancouver, and one of his students at the end asked him, "Like, how how do I incorporate all of this into my life? How do I make this applicable?" And he sat there for a while, and he said, "Tomorrow I want you to pray Psalm one, and the day after that I want you to pray Psalm two, and the day after that I want you to pray Psalm three, and on and on he went." And that's what I want to challenge you guys to do this summer is day by day. Let's pray through the Psalms. We have no lists. I'm not going to hold you accountable. I'm not going to call you up and be like, yo, did you read Psalm 62 today? But it's there for your enjoyment and for your taking and for us to become more honest. So I would encourage you to do so. I invite you to learn to pray the Psalms as naked and as unashamed as we can. Calvin said in the Psalms, we find the anatomy of the human soul. There's so much honesty contained in these 150 poems and songs. There's nothing less spiritual about, just, just a little disclaimer, there's nothing less spiritual about praying someone else's words for the record, especially words inspired by the spirit that point us to Jesus and his coming kingdom. So let's pray what Jesus prayed. Let's learn the language of honesty. The Psalms are undoubtedly a tool to help us be with Jesus more honestly, become more honest like Jesus and invite us out of hiding so that we can do what Jesus did. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you so much for what Jesus has done for us so that we can be honest with you, that you already know everything about us, God, that there's nothing that we can hide from you or need to hide from you. And so I ask that you would help us to develop a language that is honest with you, God, that, that we could pray the, the way we see the prayers laid out in the Psalms, God, the way that Jesus prayed. And that, that would be something that marks us as a community, God, that we are a, a people who are real and that live in reality, that we live and, and believe and act as if things are the way that they actually are. So we rejoice in the fact that Jesus, you came and you died and you rose again, and that you have given us a new life. And so we want to, champion that. We want to be excited about that. And we want to live a life that reflects that in every way. So teach us how to pray, Lord. Teach us how to pray together and teach us how to be honest. So we love you and we pray this all in your name, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Bless you guys.